welcome the first, perhaps the only, perhaps, perhaps, but without a doubt the best so far. That's right. One for one. One for one. No way around it. This is Knowledge XP. I'm John Brandt. Nate Edom. We're here to talk about things and stuff. Stuff and things. Precisely. We're here to learn in a non-nerdy way. Sure. Is that okay? That's wor- That works. We're going to learn as adults learn things. No puppets. Maybe some puppets. <laughs> <laughs> puppets would be great. Uh, mm-hmm. But they don't translate into the, the medium that we're, we're talking about, which is uh, the podcast medium, mm-hmm. which is uh, theater of the mind, mm-hmm. is another word for it. And uh, what we're doing today is we're going to talk about six things um, of various degrees of seriousness, uh, six things that um, I'm going to bring up three, so Nate's going to bring up three, and we're going to talk about them back and forth. And uh, I don't know. Nate, do I know what you're going to talk about today? I do not think you know what I'm going to talk about today. Do you know what I'm going to talk about today? I do not. One of them, uh, we've already agreed, one of them is going to be, for each of us, one of them is going to be about Nebraska. So there will be some Nebraska stuff. But uh, before we get to that, let's just talk about real briefly, why are we doing this besides getting out of the house? Why are we doing this? I think it's uh, a call to something bigger, and this seems like a good vehicle for that. Yes, something <laughs> bigger. <laughs> something to record something mm-hmm. uh, into the ether mm-hmm. and uh, let people know about it. I'm also a very curious person. Are you curious? I am. Like, you want to know how things work? And uh, by doing this podcast, for me anyway, it forces me to at least learn three things. Um, hopefully every week or so, depending on how often we do this. So I'm going to learn about things Mm -hmm. and how they work, and it forces me to do that. Otherwise, I'll never know things. That's right. And then I'll leave this mortal coil. That's right. um, Without knowing this fantastic stuff that's uh, beautiful on the earth. That's exactly right. How might have I done it differently? What could I have learned? Who could have taught me? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, but we're going to learn today. And uh, do you mind if I go first? Please do. Is that okay? Okay. I have one that's, uh, well, it's, it's got some different names and it's called uh, mass sociogenic illness. Mm, that doesn't sound good. Are you familiar with mass sociogenic illness? I am not. It has a different name, um, a misogynistic name, and it's called hysteria. Okay. Are you familiar with hysteria? Primarily from Def Leppard, but yes. <laughs> this type of hysteria. <laughs> uh, hysteria, the, it comes from a, a Greek word meaning uh, uterus, actually. Okay. And, and uh, they kind of said it was kind of a woman's thing, which is why it's misogynistic. And it says it's basically what happens, and this is the clinical name for it. This is Robert Bartholomew and Simon Wesley. Uh, they gave this article. It was in the British Journal of Psychiatry. So I'm not just making this up. Okay. This was published in 2003. And he says that it refers to the rapid spe- spread of illness, signs and symptoms affecting members of a cohesive group originating from, originating from a nervous system dist- disturbance and involving 
um, loss of function in your body or some particular type of unconscious behavior that you exhibit. And uh, the, the, first, the first one of these is from the Middle Ages, and it was a, a cloister of nuns who were all together. And um, they were all together, and they didn't really have much contact with the outside community. And what they would do is they would, um, that was a good, that was a good swallow sound. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that's good. That's good. So these nuns covered. are all together. These nuns are all together. Uh, you just dead. Yeah. Uh, these nuns are all together. And then at one point, one of the nuns starts meowing. And because of the way they're structured, all the other nuns start meowing. So this traveler, this visitor, comes upon this cloister of nuns, just shows up to try and, I don't know, get some bread or mead or whatever they did back then. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, there's all these nuns meowing at him. And they can't stop meowing. And so he's trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, they invite some doctors. And they thought it was, of course, what did they think that was going to be? My mind, I don't know what they thought. I thought that I suppose they thought it was just going to be a room full of uh, Middle Ages, okay, witches, yeah, witches. witches. They thought they were witches, and they thought that they were possessed, okay, by bad things, yeah. And so they came in there to try and uh, fix it, and they they got them all to stop meowing. Eventually, that's the first recorded case of this. And then there's about twenty other different cases. I'm not going to go through all of them, of course, but it's uh, the next one that's interesting is they had these uh, laugh attacks and from these indigenous tribes, and people died, died, stopped living because they laughed so hard, and they couldn't stop because it was so contagious. So the laughter killed them, not somebody thinking they were witches. No, no, it had nothing to no okay. nothing to do with no one no one outside force going. Oh, you're laughing too much. I'm going to kill you. Uh -huh. It was it was. Uh, I can't stop laughing. Okay, and I'm going to die. It's it's a recorded case uh, of people actually laughing themselves to death in this community, and it was it started with like this giggle group. It, it spread like a virus, basically. Mm. So this giggle group of again, sorry, it was young girls started giggling. And then the giggling spread to the entire community, and then people started dying from laughing. Yow. Yow. Meow. Meow is right. Meow is right. And then uh, they, they moved up to the 21st century. They started studying a little bit more. These cases of hysteria were, and, and I don't know what this is, but um, the, the brain can convince itself of things that aren't true. Sure. And it manifests itself with other people like you because of something in the social fabric something that keeps everybody together you it becomes this this weird thing this weird belief if one person convinces themselves of it it can spread onto other people because mm. they want to be part of the group Interesting. and you because of the power powerful nature of the mind you just start believing everything that happens to you mm. and happens to the group so you start either laughing or something else and this one um, there's a more uh, recent case of uh, the remember the clowns in 2016. Yes, I do. There are no reported deaths or anything from the clowns, um, but some people really, really freaked out about the clowns. Oh yeah, and um, it it caused to the point of uh, you know canceled birthday parties. Mm. 
tarnished images of clowns. Right. Do you like clowns, Nate? Uh, I don't know that I'm a... I don't know that I go either way on clowns. I'm kind of indifferent about clowns. You don't care? I don't care about clowns. So if a clown showed up and walked into this room right now... That'd be a little weird. Just because we weren't expecting it? Right. And that's why if... You know, if there was a... You see some of these pictures. There was a clown on UNK's campus, I believe, that was just standing across the street from the all the exercise equipment staring out that glass. So you got the young men and women jogging, climbing the rock wall, and here's this clown staring at them through the glass uh, across the street. I can see where that'd freak you out a little bit. But is there a real danger posed by the clowns, or is it just some jabroni? Right. Dressing up. Who is that? John Wayne Gacy? That's the... Serial killer. That's the serial killer clown. Well, he was a... I don't think he dressed up like... Did he dress up like a clown when he killed people? I don't know if we know that. I I assume he might have involved the clown in some aspect of whatever rituals he was undertaking. It wouldn't surprise me if he was in clown costume at some point during the slaughter. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I know that he did like children's... Right, stuff. right, and he like would dress up like a clown and be like a so, clown for them. It's I think I think in the collective consciousness that a, a figure like John Wayne Gacy, you can't separate his birthday party clown from his burying his gay lovers under his house. You can't separate the two, right? Especially this far removed from it. So you thought of when I mentioned clowns, you think of John Wayne Gacy. Well, in this context. Okay. I think of Bozo. Yeah, I like Bozo. Uh, do you remember the bucket game? I do remember. the. I used to recreate my own bucket games. <laughs> Were you ever successful? Uh, not on air, but yeah, at home I was quite <laughs> successful. Where was Bozo shot? Was that Chicago? Sure. Yeah. I think and so. I grew up, well, not totally, but I was in northern Indiana at the time, so Chicago was my Denver. Oh, okay. From an Ogallala perspective. Absolutely. Yeah. So Bozo was my my clown. Were you ever like, Mom, Mommy, Daddy, please take me to the Bozo the Clown show? I I didn't know enough about live studio audiences at the time to <laughs> to make such a request, but I did watch him religiously. Okay, and he was what Saturday mornings? He might, no, I think he was weekdays. He might have been every weekday in oh. in the greater Chicago metro area. What a job for that dude! No kidding. Getting up at what four a.m. Driving, <laughs> four a.m. Driving into the city. Pack of lucky strikes. <laughs> <laughs> Putting on the makeup for half an hour, sitting there, talking with kids. That's right. And trying to be happy. You know, someday he had a cold, and oh, yeah. he didn't feel like doing it. I yeah. bet. Oh, and, I'm sure he did. And what did he do? Put on the clown wig. <laughs> he went in there and showed up. That's right. Why would? Uh, what do you think it is about? hysteria or or socio whatever this guy called it sociogenic mass sociogenic illness why do you think people want to be part of a group so bad or something like that i i don't know what it is and and science doesn't know what it is they're just documenting reported cases of this stuff happening they don't have any sort of information about you know what causes it or something but there's some kind of part of the brain that can lash on to other people because Imagine there there had to have been someone in that cloister of nuns who said, ladies, 
why are we meowing? We don't have to. We're not cats. There's nothing about this that, and then they, then they were shouted down by some kind of superior or something like that. Right. <laughs> that would be. You'd be like you'd be like mother whomever. Right. Why are you Why are you talking like a cat? You're not right. a cat. Right. And then they they would be shouted down like the cat sound that you just did, right. and and then they would go, okay, fine, meow, meow, meow. And so maybe they they deprive them of food if they didn't meow. If they didn't, is that how you get people to believe something? Is by threatening some kind of harm, or is it just more fun to go along with the group? Yeah, and especially in a situation like that, you know, it's uh, all of these women have de- devoted their so devoted themselves to God, right? You know, so they're already in this realm of. Uh, faith and belief uh and so if your superior is alpha cat in this group uh your teacher is alpha cat and maybe you've become a nun because your faith is weak Mm. you know what i'm saying so you want to devote your life to the unknown um and so maybe somebody's struggling maybe the one who's questioning it is struggling with faith and here's all these devout, pious women who have been here for 20 years doing the same thing you did. Maybe they had the same struggles. They're the ones who get, maybe it's ergot or something in the bread that made them start meowing like cats. Mm. And I'm sorry, what's ergot? Ergot is uh, it's a fungus on grains like rye and wheat. And when you synthesize it, uh, it becomes LSD. Oh, and so that's they. Some suggest that the Salem witch trials. That's was, also in this article. Was by the way, go ahead. Ergot poisoning. That there was an ergot outbreak in the. I think it was the it was the wheat or the rye, and that maybe these witches that were burned alive were actually hallucinating on the predecessor, the LSD. The witches were eating it, but wouldn't everybody in the community be eating it? So would they be more apt to well, go? Well, maybe not. It may not have been a... Widespread kind of... Yeah, it may not have been all of the wheat, but a certain village's wheat supply or something like that. And so you've got these people doing crazy things. Crazy. Uh, on drugs, effectively, that they don't know that they ate. And so you see these people doing those things and... Yeah, go. we should probably burn those people. <laughs> <laughs> the, the only way we're going to protect ourselves from those That's people right. is burning That's them. That's right. That's what what year was the witch trials? Uh, well, long Columbus, time ago. Columbus sailed the ocean blue mm-hmm. in 14... Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No. Allegedly. Okay. No. So it was, it was anyway. sometime after that, 1600 something. Yeah, so he, 16. So it's got the um, Salem witch trials, possible this ergot... Or got... Yeah, 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 yeah. So what I'm saying is maybe if you if you're if you're of uh, if you're more of a follower than a leader, and you see the leaders of your group meowing like cats, you're already in this in this nun situation. You're already struggling with belief in God, and you're trying to fit into this group of very devout, very pious women, and your leaders start meowing like cats. You're like, well maybe this is what I'm supposed to do. And so maybe there's this disbelief to, because it's a bigger 
it's a bigger calling. I'm just hypothesizing. No, I think I think that's true, but I think it taps into something like at a certain point, you start pretending you're a cat, right? And then, then you become a a person. Oh yeah, as a cat. I mean, then you become cats production. Yeah, from Andrew Lloyd Webber. Yeah, and and you get to that point at a certain point um, by pretending long enough that you're a cat that, that there's something in your brain that just shuts off and goes all right all right fine i'm yeah. a cat yeah you need to start acting like a cat that's the part of the brain that i'm i, I think yeah. is fascinating yeah like what is it that just shuts off and then goes okay yeah i don't know what that is i, I don't, don't either let's try and find out through this process Indeed. okay um and 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 that's all i have on the hysteria the sociogenic mass sociogenic illness that possessed lung nuns to chemical and biological terrorism fears. I didn't talk about that part, <laughs> but it's still there. Uh, what do you have for me? Well, it's a nice segue. Uh, going blind, I've got, uh, have you heard of Marcos Rodriguez Pantoja? Can't say that I have. Well, 50 to 60 years ago, he was abandoned in 1953, uh, seven years old in Spain, and he was raised by wolves. Hmm. So kind of the opposite, going away from society. And uh, he was, uh, you know, he stopped using language, started barking, started chirping, and, you know, using wolf dialect, if you will. So, okay, so he was seven years old when he went to go live with the wolves. Right, he was abandoned. They just said, oh, I, it, we can't take this anymore. And I... I, I don't recall if there was a, one of his parents died and his or his parents split up and he was with his dad and his dad just said I can't do it and left him in the woods to die type situation or if he was lost but I think it was more abandonment well I, okay so what year was this again 1953 and he lived there he lived with the wolves from 7 to 19 where he was discovered by Spanish troops, I believe. I thought you were going to tell me that it was like 1600s or something because they wouldn't have orphanages no. or some kind of social thing that <laughs> no, they could no, just no. drop him off at. Post-World so, War II. <laughs> he went right to the right to the leave you in the woods. Yeah. I don't think he cared for Marcos. No, I don't think so either. Because uh, that's a seven-year-old. That is. They know what's going on. Seven, yeah. that's uh, They that's, can talk. That's different than leaving a baby at a doorstep. Yes. That's, I mean, that's that's... They've Some, de- they've developed. They can think. You you know what this is, and you're still you're. That's a lot of rejection. Marcos suffered a lot of rejection. Yeah, because yeah. he's sitting there his first night in the woods, and what does he do? How does he eat? Does Marcos know how to eat? This is rural Spain, right? That's, yeah, this is mountain Spain. Mountain uh, Spain. So he's. Uh, so he probably knew how to eat. Yeah, but I don't fire. know that he knew how to find the. I don't know that he knew how to hunt and gather that well. Okay. And the wolves started feeding him. Why would they do that? They do, you know, they're social creatures. Mm. And, uh, yeah, they found him. He was hiding in the mountains, wrapped in deer skin, long matted hair. Uh, they eventually brought him back. But he's talking about now, uh, we've lost this. We've lost this care that the our society used to have this concern like the wolf society has Mm. basically and so he's on a i don't know i wouldn't call it a mission now he's just shown up in the news again recently but uh has he monetized his experience 
He's got to be what? I assume like, there's a book. He's almost eighty. Yeah. yeah, I assume there's a book out there or forthcoming. Uh, I haven't looked into it that thoroughly, but I find it interesting in this era of increased social isolation. Mm. Uh, maybe not as positive of an experience as he had with the wolves, but uh, yeah, because they could have eaten him. Right? They could have eaten him. They could have just let him die. And they sure. didn't. No, it's not that common of a thing. There, you know, there's other feral children out there that have been raised by other animals, dogs, and and things. But it's not it's not real common, as you can imagine. At, but at a certain point, did he become like king of the wolves? No, no, never king of the wolves. He was always just there. Their friend, I guess. Did he suffer from some kind of mental illness or anything like that from it? Or other? yeah, well, he stopped using language. I don't know. You know, I'm sure that it's. Uh, I don't know if he's been diagnosed with anything, but sure. he was. He was antisocial for sure. So he would have been 19. This was 53 when he was dropped off at age seven. Yeah. So 12 years later. 72, 73. Well, wouldn't that be 60? Uh, 53. Oh yeah, sorry. Sorry, I was at. So 65. 65. And he just looks like another hippie. <laughs> That's right. Maybe that. Maybe that. Uh, sped up his return to society. <laughs> it's like we'll Far drop it. out, man. <laughs> nice deer skin. <laughs> I don't like words either. Meow. <laughs> so no, uh, yeah. Just begs the question: Do we need to get back to more of that uh, communal hierarchy? No, uh, uh, no, we don't. Wolves. What we need to do is we need to train robots to care for all of our children. Right. Just like the wolves would. Right. And we need to come up with algorithms that they can utilize to to make our children better than we could. Sure. Honestly, let's be let's be honest. Sure. These robots are gonna do it better. Um I don't know, the Jetsons, what was the maid's name? Rosie. Rosie the Rosie was the maid's name on the Jetsons. And she's gonna she's gonna do a great job raising all of our children. Oh, totally. And, totally. and I can stare at my smartphone. That's exactly right. Uh those candies aren't crushing themselves. No. And Rosie might be a sex doll today, too. So That's another day. <laughs> That's another day. Speak, Have, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, speaking of Jetsons, here was a... I don't. I think this was on Facebook, one of those things strolling through my screen or stream. Uh, this hypothesis or conspiracy theory or whatever suggests that the, the Jetsons in time cartoon timeline actually occurred before the Flintstones or they're on the same timeline. The Jetsons are in this space age, nuclear age. The Flintstones are the quote unquote modern prehistoric family post nuclear catastrophe blown us back to the stone age. And the Flintstones are the civilization that came after a nuclear catastrophe. Okay, the people who took their time to do that, <laughs> do they recognize that those are cartoons meant to sell cereal to children? Right. Well, I guess the Flintstones was more kind of an adult cartoon. Right. But then you end up with Fruity Pebbles. But you're also in the era of the, the peak of the Cold War. Okay, so the Jetsons occurred. It was the peak of civilization. Rosie is raising our children and, and doing our dishes. And we're flying all over the place. 
and then we blow each other up because mm-hmm. we all meow at each other. Right. And uh, once we meow at each other and blow each other up, then we turn back to the Stone Age. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's a modern Stone Age where some things are remembered, and we realize how to train brontosaurus yeah. to give us steak. And that's what they talk about is, you know, we know that the cavemen didn't have technology, so it's all a thought piece. But, you know, we've got these recreations of modern technology out of stone and things and you know the 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 dinosaurs in the flintstones aren't dinosaurs because Mm. they have you know dino he he acts more like a dog and he can understand fred and so maybe all of these lizard creatures or dinosaurs as we see them are modern genetic mutations from the nuclear holocaust Sure. <laughs> anyway, I like it. I like it a lot. That's good. I like that. So, anything? What else on Marcos? No, he. I think he's just calling, uh, calling for humanity to reevaluate itself, and we need to be more human, based on his experience with the wolves. So that he, we've we've lost that loving feeling, if you will, that the wolves have. Right, and now we're slaughtering our wolves. I think he gives wolves a little too much credit. Yeah. Sorry. I mean, he might have met some really nice wolves. Sure. Uh, and that goes back to there's something else we'll talk about today that has that uh, kind of theme. But he might have met some really nice wolves, but there's some really nasty wolves out there, too. There are. Uh, there are. And there are really nice people. And maybe Marcos just needed some nice people. That's right. He just needed some love. Needed to get out in the wilderness for 12 years and find himself. He needed some rosies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That was good for him. Okay. Um, is there anything else on Marcos? Nothing to report. When you were growing up, Nate, did you have a piggy bank? I Well, I had a mason jar. A mason jar? That I that was, converted into a piggy bank. That was built by the masons? Mm, perhaps. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Where does mason jar come from? I don't know. I assume it's... John Q. Mason oh, and Sons mason or whatever. Jars. Right. And what makes a mason jar a mason jar is, you know, a little screw-on stuff that you can can things. Right. Is that right? And so right. you have mason jars that you can uh, take the pressure out to preserve whatever you're trying to preserve. Right. Uh, when my grandmother died, um, my mom preserved her home for 20 years probably. No one ever went in it. Oh, wow. And so when, when, and we eventually moved into it and when we moved into it, we went downstairs and, uh, in a corner of the basement downstairs was canned goods nice. that had been preserved for 25 years. And, uh, and there was, I think, t- tomatoes, canned things like that. And I'm, I'm sure my mom just ripped open the can and ate it, uh, because she had such a strong immune system, but she did not actually do that. But a piggy bank originated this is this is the uh, some of the stories out there the piggy bank originated in indonesia and the way it got its name it was just this little small like clay pot and the clay that they used had like this orange tint on it and it was p-y-g-g pig was the type of clay that they used and they would just quick make these little pots put little slits in them and they would hold money in them forever and that uh, became part of something that travelers would pick up because they were cheap, right? Because the, uh, they had no way to get the money out. The way you got the money out was to break it. Okay. That was the only way to get the money out. So you would go 
and you would make these little clay pots and then you would put the money in and you would break it to do it. And these travelers, these world travelers would go and take these clay pots and they would bring them back to themselves. And then eventually over time, these pig pots would evolve into uh, piggy banks. And then in the 19th century, these banks, these capitalists were trying to, what kind of glass pack is that? Did you hear that? Did I you hear the motor? I did hear a motor. It wasn't sustained. Mm. So I don't know if that was a one of these fast and furious type cars with a little glass pack on it. Do you think it was distracting to the listener? Maybe. I'm sorry. It is listener. now. Okay. Oh, I know. I, I completely <laughs> read. Listener, the, the formal apology. Um, we are operating in a in a non studio studio mm-hmm. um, where we are susceptible to raindrops sounding, um, air conditioner sounds, um, clock sounds, which I think I've removed. And then there's also a glass pack problem. <laughs> there's some slurps <laughs> that can't occur. <laughs> um, that That's difficult. Yeah. So these piggy banks were used by capitalist banks to uh, sell things to children and say, sell basically, hey kids, when you, gr- when you get old enough, we're your, we're your piggy bank, right? We're going to keep all your stuff safe. So mm-hmm. you want to give all your money to us. And so they'd issue freely. They'd, they'd freely give these children these piggy banks and to store their money in. Um, and that's where piggy banks came from, is from Indonesia, this thing called pig. And then because of the way they pronounced the clay, it evolved into a thing that looks like a pig that you can get money in and out of because the banks pushed it to people. That's, that's where piggy banks come from. Interesting. Or not. That could also be a complete lie because I also found somebody that said that uh, piggy banks did not come from Indonesia. Mm. Uh, they were always around. The Romans used them to put like, um, uh, they called them money bins or something like that. And and the way that story came from that I pretty much researched pretty well, I thought, uh, and was even in some like U.S. News Reports articles and other things. That piggy bank thing um, where the, the clay was named pig. There were some emails in the 90s, I guess, and these emails in the 90s had uh, descriptions of what pig was. It's something that's mildly interesting, right? You'd, you'd read it and you'd go, huh, interesting, yeah. and then you'd believe it and wouldn't give it a second thought. Sure. Well, people, this guy actually researched it. He says because of those spoof emails that they did, and they weren't, they, I don't think they meant to be spoof, spoof emails. It was just something that people just started believing whatever came through their email without giving it a second thought, so it became part of that culture and they just redid it without very much research. He said there was never a clay called pig, P-Y-G-G. It was never originated there at all. That piggy banks came from the Greeks and Romans. They were called coin banks. They uh, made them real quick and put the coins in them and then they broke them to get the money out. It was to teach kids how to save things just like it was then. And um, there could be a misunderstanding, this guy says, because in Scotland and Northern England, um, they the the term pig, like the the animal pig, was P Y G G, and it was a variant. It was a, a spelling of pig, and it was a generic term for um, anything that you would put something else in. They called it a pig, like a clay pot, a jar, anything like that. It okay. was a pig. So go go get me that pig, and you would put something in it. So they would do that. So that's where they think that came from but the this guy agrees that the modern uh, function of a piggy bank was complete novelty for banks to use to 
teach kids to save money and to promote their banks. So they'd have banks written on the side and things like that. Interesting. Yeah, I could I could buy into either way there. You know, we've got pig mud. You always hear about pig mud, so that would make me mm. believe those emails from the nineties. We got pig mail. Yeah. Why why are these things shaped like hogs, you know? Yeah, Put I don't know. Money in that. No, oh, very interesting. What else we got? Well, I guess another segue off of the Oh, we should take a break. Yeah. This is our first break. Let's take a break. We've been working hard. Very hard. So uh, let's take a break. And let's see if I can actually. Oh, wait. We have we don't have any sponsors. Not yet. <laughs> <laughs> Never will. That's right. I wonder what, what you think. Because people call them capitalist pigs. Mm-hmm. Do you think they associate piggy banks with capitalism because of the banks? Giving them piggy banks? I assume it's just more of they're greedy and going to eat up everything in sight. That's what I assume capitalist pig means. Why not capitalist dinosaur or capitalist elephant? Pigs, yeah, pigs eat trash, so you got to get a negative spin on it. Capitalist goats. Capitalist goats, goats eat trash. Yeah, they do. But they've already been claimed by the Luciferians, so... <laughs> <laughs> and with that, we'll take our first break. <laughs> and we're back. You like that? That's Henry Mancini. I like it. I like it too. It just reminds me of like, I don't know. I was never on a beach listening to this kind of music in the 50s because mm-hmm. I wasn't born. But I could really see myself with a mojito in hand. Yeah, checking out my great grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Doc, we got to go back to the future. Okay, what do you got? Uh, this is. This is. This is our uh, fourth one. It is. This is our fourth fact of the day. Another perfect segue from uh, coming at this blind. Uh, Speaking of capitalist pigs, I was interested. I like to watch uh, Noam Chomsky interviews and and, uh, lectures. As everyone does. Right. And uh, so my next one is, I just wanted to discuss a quote with you. I was watching a video with him about... uh, current politics, uh, the election business, uh, and then the, the coming midterm elections and some of the, some of the contenders. Well, what, okay. Just for the listener, um, assuming there's a world after November, 2018, this is recorded prior to November, 2018. Right. Okay. So when you reference midterm elections, you're talking about the upcoming things. 2018. Okay. And uh, when you are referring to Noam Chomsky, um, he's a political theorist, a philosopher. Yeah. I I saw on one that I was watching, they called him a political dissident. That was Mm. his official title, Noam Chomsky, political dissident. 
that's kind of a fun name. <laughs> it is. It's very fun. <laughs> Should I put that on my business card? That's right. <laughs> yep. Political dissident. Um, so Noam Chomsky um, is a very smart guy. Yeah. Um, I don't agree with everything he says. Sure. Uh, I haven't read everything he's ever said. I, I don't know. I know he's interesting, thought-provoking, and a political dissident. So yes. what is the what what do you want to talk about with Noam Chomsky? Uh, just a, a quote, and I might be paraphrasing him. Uh, I couldn't find. I was looking again to make sure I had the quote exactly right this morning, but I couldn't find it. Uh, which video I found it out, and I wasn't gonna watch three hours of Noam Chomsky interviews this morning to try and figure out the exact quote. But basically, he said, "The next generation will have to decide if we continue to live as an organized society." Okay, Mr. Chomsky, assuming he just said that, doesn't every generation have to decide whether they're going to live in an organized society or not? Yeah, but and and I wonder if uh, maybe he's thinking it's more at the forefront of our minds right now. You know, do we like the? He's still alive. He is. Oh, 70, I thought he was dead. Seventy-two, seventy-three. Well, that's not old at all. No, he's still talking. Okay. He's still talking. Uh, I remember him in the Iraq War. I remember him in the lead sure. up to that. He was a very vocal um, opponent of that. And so he's saying that this next midterm, like it was he specifically referencing November? Well, this is kind of the it came out of that. He he was he was this was coming out of the last election, twenty sixteen. Okay. And how he we're moving away from this uh the established social order, I think, is where he was coming from. And how are we going to continue, I suppose you could say, the post-World War II Bretton Woods Conference society that's been created? And we're already seeing that start to fall apart to some extent. Well, The rise of China and India. Well, a hegemonic leadership, I think, has shifted. I don't think there's any yeah. doubt about that anymore. And our isolationism kind of uh, track that we're on mm-hmm. is going to remove ourselves from that conversation and someone's going to take over the vacuum of that. Yeah, it may be by design to some extent just to make up for centuries of oppression around the world. As some would say, centuries of oppression. Some would say we're not oppressors. Uh, no, I, I think... would say there's a lot of oppression that's occurred. I would... I would say there's an inherent, depending on which side you're on, I guess, right. there's inherent oppression in any type of leadership, right. um, in, especially in government kind of form. Right. Um, there's the, the, those who are led, those are choose to be led, which, you know. Meow. Exactly. Yeah. Right? You choose to be led uh, and you choose to be part of whatever else is going on. Right. Um, or you... Um, or you don't, or you're a political dissident. That's right. I tend to think that our country is unique in the fact that we don't rule, uh, we don't agree to a certain political party. We don't agree with certain people running everything all the time. Mm-hmm. We we agree to a certain base set of norms that are in our constitution, uh, in in the the way our court system works, that. Because we agree on those, it will protect us from something else. And because those are kind of, I guess, issue neutral, they don't really care about which side you're on. Mm-hmm. They just provide a playing field for those kinds of things. Um, 
I, I tend to think it's a it's a less um, oppressive kind of system because yeah, you can't. It is. I mean, Noam Chomsky he couldn't in some societies be a political dissident. Oh no, he would have been in either a never gulag heard from again in China or. It, it, well, let's talk about the the Russian elephant in the room. If he was in Russia, yeah, he, he would be silenced. The yeah. the political um, opposition in Russia is in jail right now. They, sure, um, uh, Vladimir Putin's primary uh, uh, opponent, uh, who is was gaining steam through all these other people, is currently incarcerated. Sure, other people who know secrets about him have mysteriously died or died in the street. Yeah, so. I think in America we're unique in that you can be, you can vocalize your oppression and then do something about it. Right. Where in other societies you might not. So I guess if that's society, I'm okay with that. If that's meowing, I think that's good meowing. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. No, it's an interesting, because there, there's something, something's a brewing out there, I'd say. And, uh, but you're right that we've got the, we don't have to worry about it too much here because we have a system. As long as our system is maintained, then anybody can come in and run it. Exactly. Yeah. But but it's the tax on the system, I guess, that concern me. Uh, when you're saying, well, this rule that has been followed for 200 and some years, that doesn't apply to me. Yeah. Ugh, that's yeah. scary. Yeah. Because then you're saying... Revolution. These things, well, well, these things that keep everybody safe, and right. the, these, this meowing that I've gone along with, yeah. that I really value and I think is important. When you start saying we're not going to meow to that anymore, then who knows what's going to happen? There's right. going to be just like hegemonic leadership. There's going to be a vacuum for that tradition, and uh, certain segments of our society are going to really want to fill that vacuum. Yeah, and uh, that's frightening yeah for sure why are these are i'm noticing something which we did not plan what's that these are all leading together uh, exactly they're weaving together which i did not anticipate no. at all no in fact uh, my next one when we're talking about oh sorry is there anything else you want to talk about on Noam Chomsky? no i just it it struck me as an interesting comment and so i thought it'd be worth worth bringing up did, did we explore it I think we did. We could probably you talk can, for a couple hours on that's it. That's an interesting thing. A guy is uh, well-spoken and widely distributed as Noam Chomsky. We can't, you know, we can sum up his, we can sum up his, this talking point in a shorter time than we can about uh, meowing nuns. It's an interesting, it's yeah. an interesting comment in and of itself. We know what Noam, we know what Noam's about and we know yeah. what, uh, we're all right here in the USA. America. <laughs> um, speaking of, of the USA, this is about Nebraska. We're going to our Nebraska segment. If I had little sound effects, I don't know what I would use. I would probably use uh, the Sirius, the former Husker Channel Walk song. Oh, yeah. Or I would uh, some kind of Nebraska song, the, the, the hail varsity that we play. I don't, I'm not aware of Nebraska having another song except uh, Bruce Springsteen's album. Mm. Mm-hmm. So mm -hmm. this is where we would play that if it were to occur. So we're going to talk about Nebraska now. Is that okay, Nate? That sounds great. Okay. Uh, Nebraska housed 100,000 German POWs in World War II. Um, we had them in camps all over Nebraska. And uh, they were in Atlanta, Nebraska. They were in uh, 
they had offshoots in other places, Scott's Bluff. Um, and then they had like little branches to keep them all because the one that I'm, I'm going to talk about today was in Atlanta, Nebraska. Do you know where Atlanta, Nebraska is? I have been to said POW camp in Atlanta, Nebraska. Um, what remains of it anyway? What circumstances led you to be to the Atlanta POW camp? I was a summer intern at the Tri-Basin Natural Resources District. And the manager said, do you want to go see this old POW camp? I said, yes, I do. When you went over there, did you know what it was? Yeah, I did at the time. How did you first learn about it? Uh, That was the first that I knew that they were in Nebraska. And this was, what, 19, well, 1999. No, it was 2000, 2001, sometime in there. Um, Did you learn about it before then, before 2001? I, I knew that we had had... POWs, I didn't know they were in Nebraska, and I didn't know that I would be seeing one that summer. I thought they were internment camps Mm. in my head forever. I was like, well, they probably rounded up. Because why would they? To me, it was silly for them to take prisoners of war trapped in Italy or northern Africa and ship them all the way to the middle of America to sit here and, 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 you know, exist. Yeah. but I was wrong. We There weren't internment camps for Germans as far as I'm aware. Do you know of any different? I, I don't think so. I, I think that's a good question, but I don't think there were. And so these are POW camps. And the, what I stumbled across, there uh, Atlanta could house 3,000 of them. And then they shipped them uh, in other kind of satellite camps. They had satellite camps in Kearney, in um, Ogallala. Um, they had a main base camp up in... Um, uh, Scott's Bluff, and then some satellite camps around there. And then these dudes, this German soldier, right? So this guy is trapped in northern Africa, and he's like, okay, give up. You know, glad he didn't die, right? So he gets held captive, and he gets put on a boat, and they ship him from, this guy was from, this guy, Hubert Hoffman. This is from a Kearney Hub article back from 2005 by Harry Perkins called German POW Camp Atlanta Good, which is I guess trying to maybe more opinion than an article. But anyway, so Hubert Hoffman from Selm, Germany. Um, he was a prisoner of war in World War II in the Atlanta camp. And um, he has this highly detailed, uh, they took photographs, I guess, of this camp. And then um, he came back to this camp after he was returned. So he sat in Atlanta for four or five years and he worked on this farm because all the, all the guys around here were off fighting the war. So you have all these guys fighting the war, and so they use these German uh, POWs as hired hands. Right. Hired hands is probably a very nice yeah. word for it, but anyway, uh, hired hands. So they, they use them on the farms. Now, what, what uh, Mr. Hubert says is that his family and everybody he stayed with were extremely nice to him, mm-hmm. and he loved it, actually. Uh, he loved uh, spending time with these people, working the soil, and, uh, you know, it was a lot better than his alternative in Germany. So when the war ended, he uh, went back to Germany. His town was destroyed, obviously, and he longed to come back. And some of these some of these guys did. Some of these guys were able to obtain citizenship and then come to America and live in Nebraska. And um, this guy did not. He stayed in his uh, place in Germany. And then back... Um, would have been about 10 years ago, he started writing this uh, whole, um, excuse me, 
this museum around Germany or around uh, Holdridge that has a lot of information about the the Atlanta POW camp. And he started writing them, and then it was um, they invited. He came back to visit, and they took him out to see it. And okay, this is a fun little fact. Okay, so the Atlanta um, POW camp they had to have it on 160 acres. Do you know who they uh, got the 160 acres from? Who the government paid to get those 160 acres? Ah, uh, I have no idea. You I've... shouldn't. You should not know this. <laughs> <laughs> this is um, a, a gentleman by the name of Harold Warp. Nice. Do you know who Harold Warp is? Pioneer Village. Pioneer Village. So uh, they bought 100. The government bought 160 acres from Harold Warp. Wow. Um, to uh, who later founded and started Pioneer Village in Minden, Nebraska, and so. I don't. I don't want to guess here, but I assume he probably uh, made some money from the government. Oh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. So that was the land that they had outside of Atlanta. Um, they up to a hundred thousand POWs were sent to Camp Atlanta through the entire war. Uh, had a capacity of three three thousand POWs, and then this guy comes back. Um, and well, okay. So he was in Germany, and he wrote letters back to the family that he worked for, the family in, in America and Nebraska, being great people sent him care packages to him and his friends, nice. which is a total Nebraska thing. We oh, would yeah. totally do that. I'm, we, we just got done fighting a war with you. I'm sorry. Here's some cookies, you know? Yeah. Here's some, here's some stuff that we would do. And I, I would see us doing that. So then he came back and visited. And, um, one of the things that struck me on this, this, this website that I was looking at that was associated with this article is the German soldiers drew pictures. Some of them were really remarkable artists. And so they would draw pictures for the families, and the families would keep them as heirlooms. And then even, and this wasn't in Atlanta, um, because that Atlanta was pretty much destroyed. But there was another one, and I can't remember the name of it right now, but it was in the southwest Nebraska. And the, where it's the only one still standing. Okay. The walls are still standing, and there's drawings from the prisoners, from the POWs, on the walls. And they're really remarkable drawings on this website has all the pictures oh, wow. of the different uh, different people that were in there. Wow. Yeah, the, at, at Atlanta, I think there were a few foundations left when I was there and maybe one chimney, but I don't know. It, it wasn't much. It wasn't much. So there was no... Was there a historical marker? Mm, not to my knowledge. So, no. Something they should look into. I mean, it happened. Right. We We got good stories from... We got good reviews, good good Yelp reviews <laughs> from everybody in Germany. Be, yeah, uh, they they seem to have a good time. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, I guess if you're going to be housed somewhere involuntarily, uh, Atlanta, Nebraska is not so bad. Right. I guess I would have rather been a POW in Atlanta, Nebraska, than in Liechtenstein or wherever the yeah. Hitler POWs were, or Guantanamo Bay. Sure. Uh, yeah. I would. I would rather be in Atlanta, Nebraska. But indeed. Uh, what do you got on Nebraska, Nate? Yeah, no, I, last one is just kind of a wide open, and it's another perfect uh, spinoff. Uh, just focus on Great Plains tourism moving forward. So things like Atlanta, the the POW, how do we move? Uh, because we're in a not just a Noam Chomsky changing political world, but also a changing uh, agroeconomical situation here in Nebraska. Uh, as we move to a, an era of growing water restrictions and things, we're, we're going to see a shifting economy. And so there's a, 
in there's a renewed interest uh, and and a greater push right now to to bring tourism out to the plains. Uh, and you know the I, I went to a conference. There was a conference out here at the Jonas Center last uh, last spring, last April, where that that was the focus was plains safaris. And so there were some thinkers from some of the big thinkers on the history of the plains out here and talking about you know what's our next steps um and that the historical idea of the west uh when when people like the russian dignitaries and all of the royalty that used to come on these extended tours of america to go see the west they weren't looking to go to california they weren't looking to go climb mountains in colorado they were looking to see the charismatic megafauna on the Great Plains. We want to see the bison. We want to see uh, the coyotes and the wolves and the elk and all of this and maybe shoot a few of them and take them back across the Atlantic. But uh, they were coming to the Plains. It wasn't always flyover country, uh, but they were coming here to experience the Wild West. They wanted to see the peoples of the Plains or at least what was left to them or what our interpretation of those or what we were willing to portray them as after our conquest. So it's interesting. It's an interesting um, like time. The, like for tourist purposes, like for tourism. Right. To and get them to come back here now? Yeah. How do we how do we bring back tourism? Because it's, uh, again, we're ecologically speaking, we're seeing changes. Just the, the lawsuit uh, the, the or the judgment against Monsanto or in Roundup just this last couple of weeks those kinds of decisions if if that sticks and if monsanto or maybe it's not monsanto i thought it was but whoever's responsible for roundup is held accountable and they have to pay this fine that's going to change agriculture that's going to change modern agriculture because it's not just going to be roundup it's going to be every spinoff and so that's going to put us back in terms of uh pest management that's going to take us back several decades and that's going to change crop yields and things like that um, and again, couple that with declining aquifer levels, and you're already seeing it in the Republican Basin. We're starting to see water markets in central Nebraska. Irrigation is on its way out. I mean, it is, but it, it is and it isn't. But that we're in the beginnings of the year, uh, moving to an era with less irrigation, I would say. So what? how do, how do crops get water then? Uh, we just... We'll do dry land. Uh, there'll be less irrigated acres, just simply because we won't grow as many crops here. It would be my, if I had a crystal ball and I was looking, we just won't be as productive agriculturally as we have been. Hmm. That's not good. Not for an economy that's based on groundwater and agriculture, no. So how far, your crystal ball that you're using, how far in advance is this? Oh, it's a ways out there. Uh, Do I need to worry about it or not? Um, I I don't know that I'd worry about it, but it's something to think about. It, it's a changing. It's it's a changing landscape, and I don't think a lot of people think about it. We we've we've grown up with, you know, turn on the, turn on the irrigation well and let it run as much as we want without any considerations. And uh, again, as we saw in the Republican basin. Every well's monitored now. There's a meter on every well, and I see that being 
I was having a conversation with a rancher out west uh, last weekend, in fact. And that's what I told him. I said, my prediction is in our lifetimes, every, every well in Nebraska will be metered. I think that's the future. Uh, and maybe not just Nebraska, but every, every irrigation well in this country will be metered. Uh, From a conservationist perspective, wouldn't that be a good thing? That is a good thing. And it's the tragedy of the commons kind of thing. So right. if everybody can use as much as they want, people are just going to leave it on. That's right. Whether they need to or not. That's right. And then we get a lawsuit from Kansas. Yeah. You know. Uh, and so that's, the you know, you're again, we're already seeing water markets. We're already starting to see the beginnings. Of sure. Uh, and so, again, back to the how do we move, how do we offset the losses in agriculture? We'll never do away with crops because you can always grow dry land to some extent. And better genetics will allow us to beat drought. Better, well, better than our grandparents. Right. Right. That's right. Uh, green revolution type stuff. But uh, so how do we move beyond that? And tourism is, is part of the answer. If you look at global trends, tourism is trade and tourism is a great way to so who would be our economy? Who would be our market? Who do we need to get here? Oh well, you think about we've City already folk? we've already got it. Um, cranes and they mm. they use cranes as an example. People come from all over the world to watch the cranes. It is a magnificent it kind is. of thing. I mean, it I is. I you'd kind of take it for granted out here, but if you drive early in the morning at all, and there's a nice sunrise, and there's you know um what feels like a million cranes flying yeah. over the sky. You're like, well, and it looks like a mountain. And you're like, well, this is a beautiful thing that yeah. I'm getting to experience. And I could see why people would come over the, the ocean to see it. Yeah. So you got the birders is a big one. And in fact, at this conference I was referring to, there was one of the premier safari guides from Africa was here speaking. And he's he's the kind of guy that takes a group of six people out and you sleep in a sleeping bag on the Serengeti plane mm. with leopards crawling around you at night and you don't worry about it because this guy's got your back type deal. And uh, But he says, you guys should be milking these birds. I was driving up and down, and this is modern agricultural Nebraska. Here's a African safari guide, native African safari guide, saying you need to capitalize on the birds that I saw along the interstate. So you've got the birders. Uh, what I've always thought about capitalizing on as far as tourism is um, we have stars right, that you can't see anywhere else in the world. That's right. If you get up far enough in Cherry County and yeah. um, if you're if it's night and it's a clear sky, you're going to see the universe as you've never seen it before. Yeah. Um, and, and even, you know, people make fun of us as flyover country or that there's really nothing here. Mm -hmm. But there's some value in that that sparsity, I guess, or yeah. scarcity or whatever you'd say. Um, and I think monetizing that would be a good thing. Yeah. And the, you, you speak cherry, the sandhills, that's another drop. Oh, absolutely. People already come from the, all over the world to just to look at the sandhills. It's so. a, it's a, it's a wonder. And in preserving that and keeping it untainted, even if you were to capitalize on it, yeah. how do you, how do you keep these ranchers who own, well, Ted Turner or whomever, uh, how do you keep them from just building casinos on it? Right. Or something like that, because that would ruin it. Um, right. You look at what happened to a place like Jamaica, which is primarily travel and tourism. Sure. They're, the native Jamaicans can't go to those beaches. Okay. That they that are theirs. And because 
every resort owns the beach. Sure. So they have to have their own little public beaches, which are not the best beaches. Right. I don't know. It, it's tough. Yeah, it is for sure. So if anybody has any answers on how to solve Nebraska tourism, they can email us at knowledgexp, that's N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E-X-P, at gmail.com. I, we own that Gmail, by the nice. way. Nice. Very nice. <laughs> I shelled out some cash. <laughs> and that's our Gmail account. Nothing but the best. <laughs> Nothing but the best. So if you want to yell at us or give us ideas for future shows or anything like that, you can go knowledgexp, N-O-W-L-E-D-G-E-X-P, at gmail.com. And you can let us know what we should do uh, on a future episode because I think there will be a future episode. I, I learned so. something, Nate. Me too. What did you learn? What's your favorite highlight? I, I like the cat. I like the meow. I like the opening. Yeah. Group you just think meowing. about them all meowing. That's right. <laughs> just wandering onto that. Being like, what's going on? <laughs> Witches. Witches. <laughs> what did they, I don't know. What if it was your sister and you were walking in there? Like, sis. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Clarice is meowing again. <laughs> well, until next time. I'm John Brandt. I'm Nate Edom. This has been Knowledge XP. Thank you for your time. We'll hear from you again. Wait, you'll hear from us again. Peace.